hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. I'm Jasmine Allnut, and I'm joined, of course, with... Cheryl Broderson. And we are back <laughs> with... Uh, part three right. of a four-parter on Amy Semple McPherson. And so, Cheryl, you want to lead okay, us back I'm into this? Okay, I'm so much into these next two sessions. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, you might feel a little ripped off. Um, I've read three books. I've watched all these YouTube videos of Amy preaching and biographies, as I said before. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much. I want to get into all of this. But we left Amy on the campaign trail with her mother down in Florida or during this time, Amy traveled up and down the East Coast with the tent, her children, and her mother um, giving these evangelistic meetings. Mm. And she was wearing, as we know, the servant's dresses with the yes. used cape. And her son, Robert, his shoes, he had outgrown them. And so he prayed for a new pair of shoes. And the missionary mm. barrel came, and the shoes were too small. Oh. And so Amy is about to do a meeting, and her daughter, Roberta, said, Mom, didn't you tell us about the children of Israel, that their shoes never wore out, that they never outgrew their shoes? And Amy was like a little bit perturbed because she needed to go preach. And she said, yes, yes, yes. And Roberta said, well, mom, shouldn't we pray for, for Rolf's shoes, mm -hmm. that the Lord would either stretch the shoes or shrink Rolf's feet? <laughs> so Amy said a prayer with her kids, and she wasn't really sincere in the prayer, but the right? kids were. Aww. So Ralph went to bed the next morning, and he got up, and he put on the shoes, and they fit perfectly. The new ones that were the small. The new ones that were too small. Oh, my goodness. They fit him perfectly, and they don't know whether God enlarged the shoes <laughs> or shrunk Ralph's feet to this day. So as Amy was speaking in Florida, she was asked to speak in these black churches, and those were her favorite. And mm. So she was going to all these black churches all over Florida. Well, she got invitations from the aristocratic white churches, and she said, do you allow black people, do you allow segregated services? Mm. And they said, no. She said, then I won't speak at your church. Wow. So she refused to speak at any church. Now, mm. this is in the early 1900s Yeah. that practiced segregation. She just like absolutely no. She said, Good if the white her. people want to hear me, they have to come to the black congregations and know what it feels like to be an outsider. Wow. So um, anyway, she held these successful campaigns. At one point, she had a crew working with her and they had absolutely no food. And the crew began to kind of like complain uh, mm -hmm. because Amy had given her last bit of money to a black man who needed money to feed his family. Hmm. So she had given all the money she had that was supposed to feed the crew to this man for his family. She was a bleeding heart. She would give all her money away. She never kept <laughs> any. It's like Harriet Tubman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the crew was kind of upset. So she said, well, let's pray. If God wants us to eat, he'll supply for us. And if not, he wants us to fast. Are you agreeable to that? And I said, yes. Well, right after that, this convocate of 500 people came with all this food and substance from Georgia, and they fed them all this food that had actually come originally from Corona. Oh, These people, and they, course. sorry, they drove all the way down. She was in Georgia it. at this time. They drove all the way down to Georgia for this, you know, evangelistic meeting and brought with them all this food. And they had a feast that mm. night. And they never went hungry. God mm. always, in some miraculous way, uh, provided. Mm. And so 
At this time in the United States, World War I was raging, and the Spanish flu was raging. Yes. All sorts of quarantines in all the towns. So Amy would supposed to be speaking at a town, but they'd have a quarantine. But by the time she reached that town, the quarantine would be off. Same thing happened in New York. She went to New York, and when she got there, 200 people were dying a day in New York of wow. uh, the Spanish flu. In fact, a total of 500,000 people died in the United States of the wow. Spanish flu. Yeah. But check. when yeah. she got to New York, um, New York City, uh, the quarantine was off, and she went to preach, but she wasn't feeling that well. And she came down with the Spanish flu. Oh, gosh. But she kept relying on the strength of the Lord and continued teaching. But Roberta caught it. And Roberta, again, was not a very strong child. And Roberta <laughs> got very, very sick. And it was kind of touch and go with Roberta. And one night, Amy went in and she knelt before Roberta's bed. And so she kneels before Roberta's bed and she says, Roberta, how do you want me to pray? And she says, Mommy, will you pray that God gives us a house in California? I just want a house in California huh. where it's sunny and I won't be cold anymore. Have they ever been to California? No. At this time, they okay. had. So she said, all right. So they prayed for a house in California. Rolf said, Mom, could I have a canary since we're moving to California? She said, okay. So they <laughs> prayed for a canary. And they just started praying all these things. They prayed for gables on the house. And they prayed for, you know, this is children praying. Yeah. And uh, Roberta prayed for a rose garden. And so— Amy began to feel like the Lord was leading them to go to California. Well, she had invitations in Colorado, Philadelphia, and all these places. So she talked to her mother, and they decided that they would drive out to California. By this time, Amy had a stenographer, and she would dictate the bridal mm. call to the stenographer who would type it up, and they would print it and send it out to every place where she had uh, taught before, and they would distribute it. And so um, they decide to trade in the Packard, and they buy a seven-seater Oldsmobile, and they set off for California. Now, what's interesting is they covered 4,000 miles as they went from New York all the way to California, wow. stopping only for evangelistic meetings. And it's believed that Amy was the first woman to drive across the United States. Hey, wow. First woman Fun to drive. Fact. Because, you know, driving was more of a job for men because right. tires then were more like inflated balloons and they would pop often. I mean, it was like every 40 miles and you would have to patch it. And she and the stenographer and Minnie all knew how to patch tires oh, and how to jack the car up. And they and there weren't paved roads. Well, there yeah, weren't nobody's freeways. gonna drive across America. Yeah. Why would yeah? <laughs> Fun fact, there weren't any freeways in the United States until after World War II. And it right. was Eisenhower who designed the freeways for right. the United States and says, Look, if ever there's a war, we need to get things quick yeah. <laughs> uh, to the different places. So anyway, Amy's driving across on these rutted roads and just their their travel uh to California was just like amazing, just a series of miracles that I don't have time to talk about. I wish I did. <laughs> but, you know, she held these campaigns in Philadelphia, Denver, Oakland, and other places making her way to California. There were other places too. Those were just some of the bigger ones. Now, during this time, many skeptical reporters begin to follow her. And one of them decided to get the names and addresses of all the people who were supposedly healed and follow up on them. Uh -oh. And through doing that, he became a believer. 
Oh, wow. Because the miracles were so verified. And mm. as the people told them, he became a believer. And that started happening with a lot of reporters. They started getting saved. And all of them came as skeptics and ended up getting saved. <clears throat> and I kind of like the the healing, you know, that just shows like there's legitimacy when it brings people to salvation. Because, you know, just like with Jesus, his mm-hmm. healing drew people to him. Right. So well, that's what she yeah. said, too. I can't heal anybody. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah. she said, unless you're a Christian and you're one of his own, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So you need Jesus, and then you need to take it up with them. (laughs) Anyway, so she uh, moves—so she comes out to California. Well, the churches um, in Los Angeles are so excited because they either know someone or have heard of her, and because she was interdenominational. She worked with Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and— uh, Methodist and Salvation Army. Yes, actually, that's an article I read um, for a class I was taking, yeah. and it was all about how she was able to just bridge the gap. She was a unifier. A lot of, yep, she really wanted to do that. She did not want to belong to one group. She mm-hmm. really yeah, and she really wanted to strengthen the churches yes. and send the people yeah. back to the yeah. churches and the churches they come from, but stronger in knowing mm. the Lord. And she wasn't there to build her own church, right? Ever. And she always felt like she was, first and foremost, an evangelist and to create a hunger in people for Mm. a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So when she gets to California, all these pastors are there to greet her when her car drives into town. And so she's holding a meeting, and she's just holding this meeting, this evangelistic meeting, and she's been doing it for a week. And they're staying at a hotel because once Minnie joined, she began to save money so they could stay at hotels and no longer in the tent. (laughs) So as they're staying, uh, this one woman says, I have— four plots of land, and I'm giving one of my plots of land to Amy Sibyl McPherson so she'll build a house here and stay in California. And then this man stands up, and I'm building her basement. And this Whoa. other man stands up and says, I'm doing her plumbing. And another man says, and I'm going to frame it out. So everyone began to call out what they were going to do for Sister McPherson. And then a woman said, I'm going to give her a canary. And another person stood up and said, I'm going to give her rose bushes. Everything that they had prayed in that little prayer meeting. Love it. God answered. And sure enough, within three months, she had a beautiful house where they lived. And they made that the headquarters uh, for their evangelistic campaign. There's something about kids' prayers. My goodness. <laughs> there, there are. So then she goes to, um, she goes to uh, Colorado in 1922. And as she's coming out of Colorado, this reporter says, you know, can I interview you? And this is after a meeting, and Amy's kind of tired, and Amy says, sure. So as they're walking, this man comes up to her and says, oh, there's somebody waiting for you who needs prayer. So there's a limousine. So Amy and the reporter approach the limousine, and all of a sudden, they're pushed from the back into this limousine, and they're surrounded by Ku Klux Klan men. And they've got masks on, and they've got the robes on. And they blindfold the reporter and Amy, and they drive them to an undisclosed location. And they bring them in, and they say to Amy, we're really proud of you. We're Christians, too, and we like the fact that you're spreading the gospel, and you've done so much good for Denver, Colorado. Will you say something to us? Well, Amy was actually so angry, so angry, and she prayed, Lord, overwhelm me. So I don't say what I'm feeling, but I just say your word. So she said, I pray that you will stand up proud for Jesus Christ in the light of the day and not hide behind, you know, this. And she said, today I was at the courthouse and I 
uh, watched as young women testified of how they had been taken advantage by some of the leadership who called themselves Christians in this town. And I saw the exploitation of the weak in the city of Denver, and I began to weep for this town. And she said, if you can't stand in the daylight and you have to wear masks— I'm I'm worried for you. Yeah. And she left, you know, just giving one last message of evangelism. Like I pray because those who really walk with Jesus walk in the yeah. light and not in costumes. So anyway, they take her back to her location. And that was just crazy. That was 1922. So she comes back to California and she sees this piece of property and she says mm-hmm. to her mother, that's where God wants to build his church. So they make inquiries about the property. And they're told there is no way. The woman owns lots of property she'll never sell. But she and many keep walking by it, and they pray over this piece of property. One day they go by it, and they see a for sale sign. So Amy stoops down, and she draws a picture of the the building. She wants to erect on it, right on the sign. Like, don't touch this. This is what's going here <laughs> on this for sale sign. They get in touch with the woman, and she agrees to give it to them. For and it happens to be just the amount of money that Minnie has saved. Of course, and of course, James it. Kennedy puts in some money, mm. but that's all they have. So they buy this piece of property, and Amy talks to these workmen and says, "You know, this is this is what I envision." And she wanted at first just a wooden structure that would seat twelve hundred. Well, the men who were constructing it, who were Christians, said that won't work. You know, God's going to bless. We need something bigger, you know. And by this time, her meetings are drawing upwards of 10,000 people. They said, you need something bigger. So they envisioned this concrete, circular, domed building that would seat 5,000 people. Anyway, Amy's like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this, but the Lord will pay for it. That's his business. So she says to the men, how much would it cost to just build the foundation for it? They said 5,000. She said, we have 5,000. So they laid the foundation for it. So she goes off and she speaks in these different places. And she starts doing collections for Angela's Temple. And she said, you're investing in this Mm. temple, which will be the Foursquare headquarters of evangelism. And her idea was to build Angela's Temple and just to teach people how to win souls, how to evangelize. She envisions a college that will uh, train up ministers to teach the gospel and missionaries. I mean, she has this vision. So Going on the road as she is, she is sending every bit, she and Minnie are sending every bit of money back and to erect the temple and and to build Los Angeles Temple. Mm-hmm. And so it was finished and they had their dedication service on New Year's mm-hmm. Day in 1926. And mm-hmm. it's it's built and it's it's beautiful. And our first service people are lined up outside the door and for blocks down. And she insisted on having a whole bunch of doors, exits and entrances, because in case there was a fire or anything, she wanted the people to have an easy escape and never to feel claustrophobic. Mm. So anyway, it's absolutely crowded. It's it's super successful. She also starts a radio station. She's the first woman to ever hold a broadcasting license. Wow. She's the first woman to own a radio station. Mm. Um, she's the first person to ever have a Christian radio station. Really? Ever. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yes. Okay. I mean, she is just such a uh, maverine. Yeah. She's such a trailblazer. <laughs> visionary. Absolutely. Visionary. Was um, she calling it Foursquare Church yet, or was that later? Yeah. The idea of Foursquare came to her why she was ministering in Oakland, California, and she was reading Ezekiel, and she saw the 
the four-faced creatures. Mm, mm-hmm. And she said, that's, it's four. And she started seeing these fours in the Bible. And so the four squares stood regeneration, baptism of the Holy Spirit, evangelism, and the coming of Jesus Christ. Cool. Evangelism, healing, that was kind right, of slashed right, right, right. together. Uh, so anyway, while she's ministering, and Los Angeles. I, I just want to tell you a couple of things that happened at the temple. Mm. While she's ministering at the temple, a woman calls her and tells her, I live in Santa Barbara, and we've mm. just had a terrible, terrible earthquake. We need help. And so Amy calls the LA Times, and she finds out it's absolutely true that this crazy earthquake has just happened. Mm. And she goes in and she interrupts the radio program, which is a man who was singing a hymn. And she grabs the microphone and she says, ladies, I want you to get together all your old clothes, all the blankets that you can spare and start you know, putting together meals that will not perish and do not need to be uh, cooked and yeah. bring them as soon as possible to Angela's Temple. Men, I want you to put gas in your trucks, check the oil, make sure your tires are are good, and I want you to come as soon as possible and be ready to drive supplies up to Santa Barbara. So she gets this whole group of people, and they they start up, and they go up to Santa Barbara. They set up tents. They set up medical clinics. Wow. They provide housing and clothes for all those who were affected by the earthquake. And Roberta, her daughter, went with them uh, to see kind of the devastation. She said the whole business district of Santa Barbara was absolutely destroyed. Wow. And there was flooding. There was one man who was out in the ocean. He was swimming, and the next thing he knew, he was on the beach, on dry sand. It was that bad. There was flooding. There was just Mm. terrible atrocity. Uh, And before the Red Cross could even mobilize to get there, Amy had already sent the second supply train up to Santa Barbara. She started a commissary at Angeles Temple. She started, of course, the radio station that we talked about. She had like a home for the destitute. She had an organization called Big Brother, which was men who were getting out of prison to provide jobs and clothing and discipleship for these Mm -hmm. men to make them feel secure. Uh, She just was, um, she had just such a heart of compassion for Mm. the poor and the weak and the underprivileged and just would minister. And at that time, she decided, again, she didn't want her healing ministry to be utmost. So Mm -hmm. she had a room behind the stage that could seat 500. And after every service, she would go back to that room and pray with people for healing. And in the... Angelus um, Temple in their foyer, you can see the casts of people and the crutches of people and all these um, bandages that were um, no longer needed because these people were healed along with the testimonies. Mm. And many began to keep a record of all the addresses and names and people who were healed. Wow. Uh, that was something that she kept. So this is this is Angelus Temple. This is the type mm-hmm. of thing that's happening, mm-hmm. and it just it's just interesting because I think we said that before. Just how you know you get the impression of her as just this flamboyant kind of a personality, but she, she was very grounded in the word. So there wasn't you know she was yeah. like you said trying not to draw attention to all the sensational, but and to, she just yeah. didn't care about the money. Even right. at this time, she didn't. In fact, she at this point, they sold their house and they built a parsonage um, where the whole family lived on the grounds of um, Angelus Temple. Mm. So about this time down in San Diego, there was a young woman whose name was Louise, Louise Webster. And she was married and she was very, very unhappy. Louise was the daughter of Minnie Judy. And when Louise was young, her father died when Louise was only 16. Mm. And her mother was only 32 years old. 
So her mother, whose name was Minnie Judy, uh, <laughs> took Louise, and they moved to Missouri, and they both got their nursing licenses. Well, no sooner had they graduated from nursing school, and Louise was supposed to be the best nurse. She she had honors and everything in her class. She was just so amazing. So Louise graduates, uh, does nursing, but she ends up eloping with this man, moving to San Diego. And this man is a very, very successful, wealthy architect. Webster, I only know his last name. Just super, super successful. He comes up with the early California style. Because they're living in such affluence, he buys her a radio so she can listen to the radio. In the meantime, her mother, Minnie Judy, uh, she moves out because she wants to be somewhat near her daughter. She moves to L.A. She meets a man named Oscar Johnson, and they get married, and they're living in L.A. Oscar works for the Doheny Company, and he's very successful and you know has a nice house. But neither Louise nor Minnie Judy nor Oscar know Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got some religious affiliation away from their background, but they don't know Jesus. But one day— As Louise is turning the dial on the radio, she hears a woman speaking, and she hears the gospel, and she's never heard it before, and she begins to listen, and she's mesmerized. And she hears the story of how much Jesus loves her. Mm. These were called Amy's sunshine messages that she would give on the radio every single day. And Louise heard it and knelt and gave her life to Jesus Christ. Well, then she starts listening to Amy every day, and she wants to go up to Los Angeles Temple. She wants to see what it's like and um, what's going on. And she goes to her mother's house and she said, look, you've, you've got to find Jesus. I found Jesus. Mm. You've got to go with me to Los Angeles Temple. And she takes her stepfather and they go. And there, Minnie Judy and Oscar receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, then Louise, she just really, really wants to know Jesus Christ even better. And there's Life Bible College. It's a five-story building on the campus and she decides she wants to go to Life Bible College. She knows nothing about the Bible. She wants to know everything she can about Jesus Christ. She already has a nursing license, but she just wants to know. So she tells her husband this. And her husband says, look, you've got to make a choice. It's either Jesus or it's me. Wow. But you can't have Jesus and me. And I want you to love me more than you love Jesus. And mm. she said, I can't. I love Jesus more. I've got to walk with Jesus. So she and her husband end up separating mm. And then later divorcing, and Louise goes to Bible college and begins to grow in the Lord. Well, at the same time, Minnie Judy wants to do something for the Lord. She's just a housewife. She's living in affluence. They've got this nice house, and she says to Oscar, I want to do something for Jesus. So there's a ministry opportunity to take in children whose parents are getting a divorce. Because at that time in California, if parents were getting a divorce, the children were placed in a temporary housing until custody was decided. So Minnie says, Minnie Judy says, I can do that. I can take care of children. I've got a nursing license. And she goes and she gets licensed to have children in her home. And she's just a clean freak. I mean, her house is just (laughs) wonderful. Well, she ministers to these children about Jesus because she says, look, I only have like a month or two months with these children to tell them all about Jesus. And then they're going to go back into these traumatic homes and, you know, with all of the trauma of a divorce. So this is her ministry. Well, one day a lawyer who she knows from Los Angeles Temple calls her up and says, look, I've got this little baby girl who's seven weeks old who needs a home. Is there any way that you can take her in until her mother decides what she's going to do? And so Minnie Judy says, of course. So she calls Louise, and they go to this bus station. And this woman, they believe was the secretary of the lawyer, comes, and she's got this 
adorable little bundle. The little baby girl has dark raven hair and big, big ocean blue eyes. And young woman hands the baby over with a suitcase and some money. So Minnie Judy takes this darling little baby girl into her home, and she begins to raise her. And every month, there's no communication, no phone calls or or anything, but every month, more clothes arrive, money arrives, and a letter to the little girl. But that's it. So Minnie Judy and Oscar, because they haven't heard from anyone, they begin to raise this little girl, taking her to Angelus Temple you know, every Sunday. And this little girl on Monday night, and this little girl whose name is Catherine, she went by Kathy. So Kathy lives to go to Angela's Temple. It's her favorite thing. She's enthralled by all the illustrated sermons, which I forgot to mention, that Amy did mm. every Monday night. They were like a play, and they were kind right, of a, a comedy drama. because Amy liked to use props. And if the lamb ran off the stage, she just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> One time they had a, a macaw, like a parrot, oh come on gosh. stage, and, and and they were going to use him for this play. But the macaw it only had one phrase it could say, and it was, go to hell. Go oh, to hell. Oh, my gosh. So Amy improvised and made this comedic sketch. And everybody—and then at the end, she would give an altar call. And that was Kathy's favorite time at church. And she loved Amy. As Kathy began to grow, she took clarinet lessons and piano lessons and volunteered to play in the orchestra and the band and Mm. even sing in the choir at Angelus Temple. I mean, she just loved the temple. Well, by this time, uh, sometime when Catherine was around five years old, uh, many stopped the ministry of, you know, working with all these children because in California, they stopped having like a halfway house for the kids Mm. and they just started assigning custody to one parent or the other. Mm. In the meantime, Catherine was just there with the money and the support arriving every month. Well, one day, Minnie Judy gets a call from Catherine's real biological mother that says, I want to come see Catherine. And Minnie Judy said, she doesn't even know you exist, and I don't want you coming in and out of her life. Are you willing to take her with you? And the young woman or the woman on the phone says, no, I can't take her. I can't take her, kind of almost in panic. And she never shows up. Hmm. So Minnie Judy and Oscar continue to raise Kathy as their own until Kathy is about 14 years old. Well, Minnie Judy was getting older. In fact, by the time she was in her 40s when she took Catherine into her house, and she's she's not very patient, and she's mm-hmm. not very, what do you want to say, um, maternal, even though right. she was a nurse. She's more of a nurse, yeah, very yeah. about cleanness, yeah. and they give Catherine just Clinical. a very clean life where she has everything um, but affection. Now, her father, Oscar, is affectionate, but Minnie's not. Mm. And one day, Minnie just backhands Kathy. Uh And Kathy says to her cousin, by this time, her parents own a farm out in Hemet, and they're at the farm. And she says, sometimes I think that I'm adopted by the way my mother treats me. Hmm. And her cousin says, well, you are adopted. Catherine goes running back into the house and says, I'm adopted. And at that time, Minnie Judy explains to her, well, you're actually not adopted. You're not ours. We've just been taking care of you for all these years. And she brings a letter, and she reads it to Catherine, the letter from her biological mother. And then she says, do you want this letter? And Catherine says, no, because she's afraid if she says yes, that Minnie will turn her—Minnie Judy will turn her out on the streets. Mm. And she doesn't know what's going to happen to her. So she says no. And then when she's 14 years old, she's legally adopted by Oscar— and Minnie Johnson, and she's given the name Catherine Louise Johnson. That's her official name, Catherine 
Louise Johnson, and they even changed the spelling of the name, C-A-T-H-E-R-Y-N. Before this time, before she was adopted, Louise went on this search through Arizona and to every address from those envelopes trying to find uh, Catherine's mother so that the mother can sign the adoption papers. But because they can't find her, they give a fictitious name of the mother, they give a fictitious place of birth, and they give a fictitious birthday. In fact, Catherine never knew her mother, never knew her true birthday, never knew where she was born, and never knew what her ethnicity was. Never. All of her life, never, ever knew. Anyway, but Catherine, because of Amy Simple McPherson, that became her stability. Hmm. That became her life was at the temple. And she loved it. And she said every time she went to Temple, she felt she was home Hmm. and she felt secure. Now, I'm going to have to save so much for part four because you know what? We're at the end of time. What? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And Catherine's still a teenager. We don't know what's going to happen to her. (laughs) No. And there is more to her. Oh, absolutely. And it's going to get very, very fun. And you're going to start recognizing names in part four. I think so. (laughs) Yes. But then we're also going to get into a scandal, but we'll go quickly over this scandal. Yeah. Yeah. Glorify that Yeah. We got to wrap up Amy's life and ministry. This is not going to be easy. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you for joining us at on part three. And again, if you've got a story of someone we should know, please send it in to WWK at CCCM.com. We look forward to your letters. Please write us. Yes. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.